Hi, I'm Bill Arnold. Thank you for listening to this podcast. There are many more podcasts available at MyFaithRadio.com. Your support makes this possible. Thank you. And a warm welcome to the afternoon show. I'm Bill Arnold, and boy, did you come to the right show if you just tuned in. Uh, it is time for Guy Talk, or Guys Who Talk. I think you know the drill. What we do is we take questions, anything related to Bible or uh, Jesus or your church, anything you would like us to try to answer, we will do our very best. My panel today is Pastor Tom Parrish and Jeff Verdorn. So 877 933 2484 is our number. You can ask any question you'd like. Again, 877-933-2484. I need to take a sip of tea real quick. <laughs> not any question. No, not any question. Yeah, there's some questions. I don't, yeah. Yeah. All right, here's the first question. Bible questions. Exactly. Uh, how can I over, overcome bitterness and negativity? I have been disappointed in friends, family, and church people a lot. I'm assuming this person is a Christian. I would assume so. All right. Yeah. And uh, try being a pastor for 50 years. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, this is just this is just normal. My first 10 years of ministry, I was a, a mess because I was trying to solve everybody's problems. I was trying to deal with all this. I was getting depressed. I wasn't sleeping, whatever. And finally, the Lord got through to me and reminded me I'm not the Savior. You know, and he taught me. He said, look. You need to be like me. Now, I didn't hear words like this, but from Scripture it came out. You need to be like me. Love people, but be realistic about people. People are people, mm-hmm. and sometimes they're going to let you down. Sometimes they're going to come through. And then I learned to take my disappointment, my, any bitterness or anger, and simply talk to Jesus about it and tell him the truth. Lord, I'm frustrated with these people. I don't like what they're doing. And he would often give me peace of heart and mind, and oftentimes, honest guys, I'd get insight into how to talk to those people over the next month. You know, there's a line from a movie I always love. It says, uh, get used to disappointment. And, uh, you know, people are always going to disappoint you uh, because people are fallible. Even the most mature Christian is not the Lord. And the only one that I know that will never disappoint you is the Lord. So as we trust in him, as we seek him first, as we abide in him, um, he is the only one that is always faithful, always true, will never leave us, never forsake us. And uh, so um, latch on to that. Then get used to disappointment because people are always going to disappoint us. And uh, it's just something that I think is going to happen in this fallen world. And we're going to disappoint others. I uh, mean, it, yes. it works both directions. Mm-hmm. So the thing is to pursue Jesus above everything else. And if you do that, I think you can live in this world successfully for him and be a real benefit to others. All right. Thank you, gentlemen. By the way, uh, Jeff Verdorn, Tom Parrish are my panel today. If you have a question for them, 877-933-2484. We call this segment Guide Talk or Guys Who Talk. All right. Um, a lot of people have different interpretations of Scripture how do we navigate through the different interpretations and when is someone a false teacher? Wow, big question. So I remember when I first started 
studying seriously scripture. And the big issue that I had uh, actually was our assurance of salvation. Are we really assured of our salvation? Once you're born again, are you born again for all of eternity or could you lose it? And so this issue kept coming up in my mind and, and I would read one guy and I think I'd be convinced one way and I'd read another guy or a book or an article or something and kind of think, well, they have some pretty good points. And I, I would go back and forth, kind of like being tossed to and fro by every you know doctrine. I even wrote my pastor in, in that day, my pastor of that day. And I said, hey, I'm really struggling with this. And his response was basically, well, good luck with your studies, right? And I'll never forget. I, I set this issue on a shelf in my mind. I don't know if you guys have shelves in your minds, but it was right here, right in the shelf, right about here. And I said, Lord, I really think this is an important issue. I'd really like to understand and know whether or not we can actually lose our salvation or not. And I was studying scripture one day, and I was in Ephesians 1, actually, where it says, having believed you were marked in him with the deposit of the Holy Spirit, guaranteeing your inheritance until the day of Christ Jesus. And in my mind, I said, of course we're secure in our salvation. It couldn't be any other way. Over the next months, I came across scripture after scripture after scripture that confirmed that we have assurance of salvation. And today, I am. it's a doctrine that I'm in lockstep with. So here's the answer, I believe. As you seek him through his word, the Holy Spirit will teach you. And one of the things I've learned, and I agree with you, Jeff, wholeheartedly, one of the things I've learned is to discipline myself because it is too easy for me to go into Scripture and get the answers I want rather than the Scripture's answers that are there. Good point. And what I mean by that is this. I'm going to be teaching at my church uh, through the summer how to study the Bible. I've looked at a lot of different curriculums out there. I've written a lot myself. There's a short one by the Navigators on Bible study that is one of the best I've seen because in two pages they outline what you need to be doing with yourself before you go into the Scriptures, such as recognize the authority of the Scriptures, surrender yourself to the Word of God, surrender yourself to the setting of which the Scripture is talking about, instead of coming in with all these ideas from the world or from other teachers out there. And I respect all the Bible teachers, but let's face it, we can all be wrong. But the scripture is always right. So to go back in then and start working in a disciplined way to let the word of God speak to you. And when it speaks to you, then test it, put it to work, see if it, see how the Lord makes that happen. As, as Bible teachers, obviously we love a good teaching, especially when it's consistent with God's word. And, but just as God commended the Bereans in Acts 17, he said, now the Bereans were more noble than the Thessalonians because they searched the scripture every day to see if what Paul said was true. So you, Christian, when you hear a teaching on the radio from the pulpit, wherever you read an article, you search the scriptures yourself and see if it is true. Yep. Well done. All right. Here's a question that just came in. How can I bring up Jesus to people? How can I witness to people? People struggle with this one all the time. And and I teach a lot on witnessing. Um, I used to be terrible at it. <laughs> That's about the best way to put it. I was, uh, in the early years of ministry, I was obnoxious, I was overwhelming, and I was manipulative. <laughs> and, uh, Don't sugarcoat it, Tom. Just I, give it to us straight. I'm sorry. I'm, I'm sorry. But I, I had to learn to do more listening to people and let the Spirit move in that setting than I did always with 
a canned presentation. Now, last night I taught my confirmation girls. I've got four girls. The Roman Road. So I teach systematic ways of presenting the gospel, but I always tell them, with your friends or with others, if you will take the time to listen, and you really listen to them and feedback what they're saying, within five minutes, they will start telling you a spiritual need, like they're lonely. Their family doesn't respond to them. Nobody cares about what I'm doing. And then you step in and you begin to say, I've been there. I know If you have, I know what that's like, but I've found answers. And if you ever want some answers, I can help you. And I can't get away from people when I do that because they go, well, I've got time now. <laughs> and then we begin mm-hmm. to talk about what the scriptures say in terms of, you know, eternity in our hearts, sinners, how desperately we need to have our sin, our guilt and shame removed, and how the answer of the whole Bible is Jesus. And then I will sometimes maybe take them through the Roman road, the six steps there. But I think too often we feel the pressure of, I've got to tell this person they're going to hell if they don't receive Jesus. That may be a truth, and I'm not arguing that. But usually they're going in the next five minutes. Give them time to begin to talk to you, and in turn, you can share back with them and the Holy Spirit. And I pray under my breath all the time when I'm witnessing, uh, Holy Spirit, speak through this, work through this, open them up, open me up, help me to hear what you have to say. You know, there's lots of different methodologies for sharing the gospel. You mentioned the Romans Road. There's the four spiritual laws. There's the bridge diagram. There's, you know, I've got a friend who leads a ministry uh, that has an app uh, that they present the gospel using an acrostic for the gospel, G-O-S-P-E-L, right? Um, the method, I remember listening to a story of a f- kind of a famous church in, in our country and their their missions department head, and they were going around talking about their missions programs and how they do uh, missions. And they got to this guy, and everybody was going to listen because, you know, he was from this popular church. And they said, you know, could you describe your missions department? And they says, we we do missions. That's our missions program. And it's, oh, very funny. You know, no, tell us what your program is. No, we do it. I think the best way to share Christ is do it. Yep. It's it's whatever approach you want to use, whatever tools you use. I have a friend, Dave Gibson. He has a book, My Story, that he keeps in his pocket all the time. And it's his story about he came to Christ. But then the rest of the pamphlet is Christ's story. Mm-hmm. And he shares this with everybody he meets. He does it purposefully all the time. It's wise. Yeah. I had Dr. Jerry Root on the show a number of times. He's the director of evangelism for the Billy Graham Center at Wheaton College. So this is what he does. And he said, no, it's nerve-wracking to share your faith. I said, no, 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 wait a second, Jerry. You can't say that because of your position. He said, no, it is true. I said, well, give me an example of how you operate. And he said, well, I was in baggage at the airport waiting for my bag. And I struck up a conversation with the person standing next to me waiting for his bag. And I said, um, are, are you home? Do you live here in Chicago? And he goes, uh, yeah, I, I am home. I originally lived in Florida. And when my parents got divorced when I was 13, we moved here to Chicago. It's like, oh boy, you're just starting to tell me everything about your life. Well, and then he said, well, how was it after your parents got divorced? And he just started talking and talking and he just wouldn't. You wouldn't shut up. He's it's, absolutely right. It's so simple at times. Yeah. And I see that. Uh, I mean, I, I think I've told the story before. I like my Diet Coke. So <laughs> often I'll drive through McDonald's and get it for a dollar. You know, it's a dollar thirty-eight now with the government coming into it. But I'll get my Coke. 
I was going through there, and there was the same woman there every day. Every day. Now, how long do you get at the McDonald's window? 20 seconds, 30 seconds? And I would say to her, I hope you're having a good day. And she goes, yeah, I wish I would too. Well, you know, I'll be praying for you. I drive off. Next day I come in. She goes, did you pray for me? I said, <laughs> yeah, I did. She goes, you know, I, I had a little, it brightened up. Now, I'm not kidding you. We did this over a month period of time. I drank a lot of Coke for this woman's salvation. <laughs> drank a lot of Coke <laughs> and it went through the line. And within that month, she was confessing her sins to me in the drive through window wow. and asking me how she could be made right with God. Now, come on. I can't manufacture that. But the willingness to listen and let her talk and just what you're saying, Bill, exactly the same thing. And I've had that at Walmart and elsewhere. Uh, the Lord's got the door. He's yeah. got the divine appointments. We just have to be willing to listen and talk. Okay. We'll take a break. We're enjoying Guide Talk for a 90-minute version today, a little extended. I hope you guys know that. That's good. Mm-hmm. Okay. We're here. Good, good, good. And so we'll take your questions. Any question you have, send it over. 877-933-2484. Be right back. Listen to Faith Radio Live or on demand no matter where you go. Download the free Faith Radio app in your app store today. Pretty regal music, wouldn't you say? It's very good. I like mm-hmm. that. It's a little above the guy talk. What are you saying? Uh, nothing. Oh, okay. All right. Here's a question uh, from a listener. I struggle with an addiction to the segment Guy Talk. Is there anything I can do or should I just keep listening? <laughs> Some addictions wait, wait, wait. are good. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Let's move on. Um, I've got a question about, uh, I raised this with you guys earlier about the Bible teaches and talks about the early church. It doesn't, it doesn't talk about church fathers. I think that's a fancy word that gets used that can be confusing. I mean, if you're writing 700 years after Jesus, are you one of the fathers of the church? Shouldn't we just read Acts? Good question. Yeah, so I like what we, you're saying. If we talk about the fathers of our country, it's the founding fathers that wrote the Constitution and, and were involved in the formation of, of our country. Uh, there are no fathers of our country that came after basically 1770. So there are some important people that came along and, and 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 steered the course of our nation's history. I would argue that exactly right, as this listener says, the founding of the church happened in the first century after the resurrection of Jesus Christ and the, the, the Holy Spirit came upon the early church. And those apostles that primarily wrote the New Testament are the fathers of our faith. They are the founding fathers, if you will, of Christianity, taking nothing away from Christ, who was the chief cornerstone of the right. church, obviously. Can we learn from believers that have written uh, different writings over the centuries? Of, sh- of course we can. Uh, some of them were were very um, mature, very insightful in their understanding of Scripture. Some of them not so, so you have to be very discerning. So why don't we go to the source material, the f- true founding? And and those are, by the words, by the way, the only words that are truly inspired by God. Mm. Yeah, and if you start with the basis of the Word of God, you go there first. Then anything you read after that by those, you know, the, the 
anti-Nicene fathers, as they called them, and all this other stuff. What you read by them is to see how they lived it out or how they interpreted it, but it doesn't mean their interpretation is right. This is not sacred writing in that sense. It's historical writing that simply gives us insight and understanding, and it's kind of like somebody at church, after you preach a sermon, coming forward to teach a class and say, let me tell you what the Lord's done in my life as a result of that passage. Now, it may be a wonderful story that you can repeat. It may be a story mm-hmm. that's not so good that you don't want to repeat. Same thing with these writings. They don't have the same authority. I encourage people to read them, but read them wisely. Don't make them on the same power of Scripture. Let the Scriptures do the speaking, and then see if you want to add something to it from that. But you can skip it and still be okay. Awesome. I agree. Go to the source. Go to the source. This is Guy Talk or Guys Who Talk. Any question you have, send it over, 877-933-2484. All right, gentlemen, if sin can't exist in the presence of God, how could Jesus have hung out with sinners? My friend asked this and used it to make the point that God doesn't take sin as seriously as we think he does. And I want to know what you would say to that. You know, I think this comes from an interpretation uh, of 2 Corinthians 5.21, where it says, He who knew no sin became sin for us, so that we might become the righteousness of God. And and there's kind of this narrative that says Jesus became sin on the cross, and God had to turn his back on Jesus, turn his back on sin, because he's too holy to look on sin. God is looking down at the world, and he sees everything in this world, which means he sees everybody's sin. Yeah. Um, so... Uh, I think there's a misnomer. First, Second uh, Corinthians five twenty one. I think properly should read that he who knew no sin became a sin offering. Jesus did not become sinful on the cross. He was a perfect, spotless offering. He was a sin offering to God, and therefore, and we don't need to get into this. I actually don't think Scripture says that God turned His back on Jesus or abandoned Jesus in that moment. Uh, I think something else was going on in that transaction on the cross. But how does God, if Jesus is God, how does God abandon God on the cross? So does God see sin? Yes. Does he see all sin? Yes. Did Jesus hang out with sinners and tax collectors? Yes. And what you're saying here, Jeff, and I agree, what you're saying is that it is in Jesus and God the Father, God the Holy Spirit, that Sin, they don't absorb sin into themselves. It doesn't become their nature when we sin. They can stand in the midst of all the sinners of the universe and still be pure and not absorb that. So the Lord can be in the presence of sin in the sense of he is there, but he's not a a participant in that sin. And I think that's what that passage is really saying, that the Lord himself, you know, doesn't want to stand in the in the way of uh, sinners or whatever else, but that doesn't mean he doesn't love the sinner. It just means he's not going to take up and agree with them on what they're doing or absorb that into his life. You know, in Revelation, it says that Satan actually comes before the throne of God to accuse the brethren, right? So he's there. Actually, we see Satan coming before the throne also in the book of Job, yep. where he says, you know, where have you been, Satan? You know, roaming to and fro, he says, and have you considered my servant Job? So this idea... I think it's a misunderstanding that God can't look upon sin. He's looking upon the world every day, and he sees it all. Hmm. Well, looking upon it, another way to say that, he doesn't agree with it. He is not endorsing it in any way. He is saying, no, there's an answer, and the answer is in myself. Nicely done. 
Mm-hmm. You know, there was a rabbinical tradition that if you said the first verse of a psalm, everyone would understand that it would be then the rest of it. I, I think that is exactly what Jesus was doing on the cross mm-hmm. when he said, my God, my God, why have you he forsaken was. me? Those he were the was. psalm sure. words of David, right? In yes. Psalm, psalm 22, 22 mm-hmm. which is a psalm about the Christ and his crucifixion. If you read the rest of it, David uh, David was not abandoned by God. In fact, later he says, I, I finally, he recognizes that God was not far from him. Later on, I think about verse 19 or something. And uh, and I think it's exactly the same way with, with Christ. He was, he was invoking that psalm. That psalm, you know, is about me. He was teaching from the cross. He was. You know, they, they, will, they will cast lots for my garment. This is all David's psalm. There's a dozen passages in Psalm 22 that relate directly to the cross. Yeah, even when it, it says in verse, uh, let's see here, in verse 22, chapter 22, verse 6, but I am a worm and not a man scorned by everyone. And in the Hebrew, the, the word worm is tola, which is a specific kind of worm that if you crush the worm and boil it in water, you produce a red crimson ink. Oh. To which they would use to dye materials and, and curtains and things. So he was, just like it says in Isaiah chapter 1, 18 to 20, um, that he, you're, although your sins are like crimson, you'll be as white as wool. You know, keep reading and look at the places that they mocked me, right? Well, they mocked Christ on the cross. They sneer and shake their heads at me. He trusts in the Lord. Let the Lord deliver him. Well, that's a quote directly from one of the, the people at the foot of the cross. It says, see if the Lord is going to to rescue him. Uh, it goes on to say that my heart is like wax. It melts within me. That's actually a clinical description of what's happening to a man on a cross. My strength is dried up. My tongue sticks to the roof of my mouth. Uh, Jesus was thirsty on the cross and was yeah. offered. There's so many things about this this psalm that point directly to the cross. And I think that's what Jesus was doing when he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And let's finish with verse 31. They will... Proclaim his righteousness, declaring to a people yet unborn, he has done it. He has done it. Yeah. Rosie just wow. pumped her fist in the air. I know. I like it. I yeah. like it too. I like that. Amen. Too. Yeah, I like that. All right. This is Guy Talk, and we'll do our very best to answer whatever questions you have for us. Maybe you had a question that came up in a Bible study, or you're reading something in your quiet time this morning, and or maybe you've had a question you've been wrestling with for years, and you've not wanted to Go up and ask your own pastor. Just didn't want to ask him. You can ask these guys. They'll do their very best to answer your question. These men of God are available for you right now, so send your question over. The text line is open, 877-933-2484. Again, 877-933-2484. And I also would love for you to see what the Holy Land might look like through Jesus' eyes. And you can do that by winning Max Lucado's new book, In the Footsteps of the Savior. And that's a big thanks to Thomas Nelson Publishing. Uh, we and you can win a copy every day this month. And all you have to do to get in the drawing is to uh, enter to win at myfaithradio.com. Or you can go right to the app. We'll be right back with lots more God Talk. Show with Bill Arno, Brad 
let's get it started. Jump in your car. What's for dinner? It's the afternoon show with Bill Arno. There are some great questions coming in to Guy Talk, and thank you so much for sending your questions over. We're doing the extended version today, so we've got another full hour ahead of us. So 877-933-2484 is the phone number to send your questions over via text. All right, uh, let's see. Psalm 90 talks about how God won't let anything bad happen to you or your household if you are a believer. How do you reconcile that with everything that happens to believers? Psalm 90. Is there a verse that we can... I don't believe so. Just Psalm 90. That is a common refrain I see on the internet and among Christians. And how can I... One of the struggles with that is, because as a pastor I get asked all the time, you know, my family faithfully served the Lord, we all love Jesus, why did he let my child die? And how do you begin to, to address that? And most pastors don't address it well. Part of the reality is this. Even though you read, when I tell people, when you read Psalm 90, go to the New Testament and see what Jesus says then afterward. Jesus said, in this world you will face trouble. Hmm. But, you know, have faith, I've overcome the world. You know, the world will be brutal to you. They will persecute you. They will lie about you and they will deceive you. Well, Psalm 90 doesn't say that in that setting. But that's why if you just read Psalm 90 and ignore the rest of what's said, it gets terribly confusing. And so, you know, uh, my son, when he was younger, we were talking about this. Uh, Andy must have been like 12. We were talking about this very thing, and there had been a huge plane crash. 200 and some people on board killed. And he said, so are you going to tell me, Dad, that all of those were unbelievers? Wasn't there anybody in an airplane that believed in Jesus? Well, yeah. Why did he let them die and not save them? So the struggle is, is we deal with this. I think the the danger is we get isolated on particular verses, and you still have to go to the New Testament and see what Jesus did with it. Over and over and over, Jesus said, you have heard it said, but I say to you, and I believe the Psalms, I believe they're right, but I want to put them in the context of what Jesus told us in the New Testament. So I just kind of went through Psalm 90. I don't mm-hmm. see specifically the verse that the the— Listener is describing where it says he promises no harm will come to a believer. I, we we know that's not true. We know both by experience and by the rest of the Word of God that harm does come to both believers and unbelievers. He causes the sun to rise on the righteous and unrighteous and sends the rain on the evil and the good. So good and bad happen to the good and bad. Um, you know, Jesus in, in the Gospels and Matthew said, do not fear him who can destroy the body, meaning the enemy, Satan, who has a certain amount of power in this world to cause pain and havoc and even death in this world, um, which does happen. I mean, there's there's many a martyr for Christ over the 2,000 years of the church history. I think one of the things you have to understand when you're reading the Old Testament is the church, this is not directly applicable to the church. The church doesn't exist yet. These were written about Israel. There's a principle in the Old Testament as God dealt with Israel that there is a blessing for obedience for Israel. If you follow my commands that I give you this day, here is how you'll be blessed, Deuteronomy 28. But then the rest of the chapter is, if you don't follow my ways, here are the curses or the consequences that will come upon you, right? Um, And many passages in the Old Testament also describe 
the eternal hope of Israel that one day they will live in peace, they will live in safety because they're going to live in the presence of the Lord and be with him forever as the remnant of Israel will be saved one day. So you got to understand that. So that may be what the caller has seen, those principles that don't specifically apply to the church. Tom, as you said, in this world, we will have trouble. The church is persecuted and um, bad stuff does happen to good people and to believers. When I was in Bangladesh for a period of time, the believers there living are living in a Muslim country. There's a lot of persecution among those Christians. Many of the daughters have been sold into slavery, sex slavery, and are gone from the family. Family members have died. They have not been treated properly. And yet, when they read the scriptures, they still say the Lord is faithful because we have an eternal home, even though in this life we have misery. But in this misery, Jesus also suffered. And I, that hit me so hard the first time I heard that because we live in a Western culture where, quite frankly, in America, we've had it good. We've had a lot of opportunities and a lot of freedoms. And so we have balanced ourselves over to the side of why do bad things happen to good people instead of the fact that we live in a broken, sinful world. And because we're in that world, there are consequences and even good people get harmed, you know, as they did in World War II, as they have done all through life. But Jesus still has the final word, and he is the Lord. You know, the Paul has a, a, a kind of his personal experience and resume in, in 2 Corinthians, and he says, five times I received from the Jews 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in an open sea. Paul was stoned. He was afraid in the in the country, afraid in the cities. He was attacked by bandits. Um there are some in Christianity who want to declare that once you become a believer, it's going to be all great sure. and you're going to be healthy and wealthy and prosperous and that is God's plan for you and, and everything else is contrary to God's plan. And it's a, it's a lie. Paul himself, yeah. if you read his life story, became a Christian and ended up facing persecution almost wherever he went, uh, in jail and shipwrecked and beaten and finally he was, he was killed for his faith, as were many of the disciples. And that's where we're to support one another in Christianity and be there for our brothers and sisters that are struggling and encourage them uh, because when we face this stuff alone, we have a tendency to waver in our faith. When we face it together, we build one another up. A follow-up comment by a listener was, I think that question is faulty at its root because Jesus himself said, who is good but God? Which of us is actually good? None but him. Not me. Yep. How about you, Jeff? No. Okay. Just leave the me, Lord. Leave me out of it, too. <laughs> All right. Uh, good uh, Good work, gentlemen. Uh, let's see. Um, I was asked by a friend to officiate their kid's marriage. I was honored but declined. Just curious, what qualifications are required to officiate? I cannot find it in the Bible. Well, there is no qualifications. Uh, marriage, the qualifications to do a marriage is actually imposed by the state. Uh, so you need to be a licensed pastor in most states. I think all states require that in some way or a minister of peace or justice or whatever. Um, now, fortunately, I've done one wedding and I'm sure you've done a number. And I actually became a pastor of a church. The church, the church of the WWW uh, something, <laughs> something, I can't even remember what ministry it was. Wow. But you have to get a ministry right. declaration and, and register within the state in order to do it in most states. 
Um, biblically, there is no criteria. There isn't, and that's part of the problem we run into. Uh, the state, though, requires it, and if you want, because it all goes back to the legal stuff. If you want insurance, if you want to have half the house, if you want to have child support if your spouse leaves you, that's where the state comes in, and that's why we are certified under the state. But in terms of the power to marry, that's only the power of the Lord. You know, he is the one, the final one, that people stand before and make a covenant with. Now, I think the problem is we don't teach much about making a covenant with Lord with the Lord in marriage. We, I, am, I have done over 200 weddings in my ministry. And when somebody says to me, Pastor, I want to make up my own vows, you know, I, I first you know, hit my head a couple of times and I say, show me your vows before we talk about them, because too often they have nothing to do with Jesus, just how much we love each other. Where the real vows are we're making this covenant between with one another and in the presence of the Lord, and he is the third or he is the first participant and creates the unity between us. And when we separate from one another, we are violating his standards. And he's the one, God is the one, as you say, Tom, that makes the two become one flesh, as Ephesians says. Yeah, always. All right. In Psalm 51, verse 11, David says, do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Is this something David should have worried about? Do you think David felt this way because of what happened to Saul? How does this fit? with us grieving the Holy Spirit? Great question. Can I start? Because my wife and I were just in this passage this week and, uh, and looking at some of the things earlier where in Psalm 51 it says, Have mercy on me, O God, David says, Blot out my transgressions, wash away my inequity, cleanse me from my sins. And I've heard this psalm taught where it's like, oh, Lord, do that to me. Have mercy on me, cleanse my sins, give me a new heart, on and on and on. And I like to point out that if you have believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, he already has done all those things. He has forgiven you. He has cleansed you. He has given you a new heart. As such, excuse me, as such, when Paul says, don't take your spirit from me, I think the listener is exactly right. I think he saw what happened to Saul and he didn't want God to take his spirit from him. Now, remember, he was not born again. Christ did not come. Christ has not died. Christ has not rose again. We have not yet, he had not been made a new creation like we are. After the cross, when God gives his Holy Spirit to someone who believes in him, he says, you will have the Holy Spirit forever. And he won't take his Holy Spirit from you. David did not have that same promise. You made a good point, and here's what I really encourage people to do. If you want to be a good Bible student, we were talking about that earlier, you look at that, cast not me not away from your presence, take not your Holy Spirit from me. We have resources today that I didn't have when I was in seminary. You can go to the New Testament and see what it says about the presence of the Holy Spirit and how to you know, let the Holy Spirit work in your life, or the fact that the moment you receive Jesus as Lord and Savior, you've passed from death to life. I mean, it's an instantaneous thing in John 5, 24. So David didn't have that understanding when he wrote this. It was true what he wrote. I'm not saying this is mm-hmm. not but he didn't have that fuller understanding of the Messiah and what the Messiah brings. We, it's like, kind of like my, my wife loves to read novels. I'm not a novel reader, but she likes that stuff. You know, and after she reads the first chapter, if I'd say to her, so what's the outcome of the story? She would say, well, I don't know. I haven't read all the way through yet. Folks, it's the same with the Bible. 
Don't isolate the Old Testament from the New Testament or the Psalms from Jesus and what he says or from the book of Revelation or any of those, but you have to try to look at them all together. And the advantage is there isn't a Christian out there, if you have Internet access, that can't do the research on the Internet and find the connections. So a lot of great Christian resources, and I sure wish I had them when I was in seminary. Let me read just one passage that is the promise of God to New Testament believers. I mentioned this verse at the start of the show. It's from Ephesians chapter 1, verses 13 and 14, which says that you were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were—so this is, this is the moment of salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit— who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possessions. Right. In other words, once you receive the Holy Spirit as a New Testament believer, it's a deposit guaranteeing your inheritance. God will never take his spirit from a New Testament born-again Christian. I like Thursdays. Mm. Me too. I like Thursdays. Best time of my week. Uh, thank you. And here's another thank you. Thank you, Jeff, for telling me about the Blue Letter Bible app. I like it. Do we know why Jesus did not baptize, but his disciples did? John 4, verse 2. John 4, verse 2. Do you know why Jesus did not baptize, but his disciples did? Because the baptism that John the Baptist brought at that time was like the ritual washing of the Jews. They understood baptism in one sense because they had the ritual washings. John's baptism in the Jordan was in preparation, he said, for the coming Messiah. Jesus is that Messiah, so he didn't have to baptize in preparation for the Messiah. He was the Messiah, but his baptism through the power of the Holy Spirit did not come until after he rose from the dead. And when the Holy Spirit was given to the apostles in the book of Acts in chapter 2, Then the power came upon them, and what we understand now as Christian baptism is not the same as John the Baptist's baptism. It's a different baptism, but it is even more powerful because now we get the presence of the Holy Spirit by faith in Jesus, where John couldn't offer that. All he said is, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, and people are being baptized in preparation for the Messiah. I really like that, and it's very consistent with Luke 3.16, when John says, I baptize with water, but one who is more powerful than I will come, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. He will baptize with what? With water? No. No. With the Holy Spirit, Spirit, right? And that is the receiving of the Holy Spirit the moment you believe. So Jesus does baptize, but he doesn't baptize with water. He baptizes with the Holy Spirit, which is exactly what you just described. Oh, do I have another big question coming up? And when we come back from the break, I'm going to ask it, and I'm going to peer your direction, Jeff Verdorn, to get things started. <laughs> just so you know, pull okay. up a seat and get uncomfortable because uh, there's going to be pressure on you. When I'm we feeling back. so much better about this. Now. <laughs> <laughs> no, he's going to love this question. Okay. You're listening to Guy Talk. Let me know what question you have for the panel. 877-933-2484. Extended version today, so we're going to do another 30 minutes after this hour. Faith Radio and Afternoons with Bill podcasts are available because of listener support. If you are a supporter, thank you so much. 
becoming a supporter today by visiting MyFaithRadio.com. Fast hour in radio, and fortunately we've got another 30 minutes after this hour ends for more guide talk. Or guys who talk, let me know what questions you have for them. 877-933-2484. Jeff Verdorn and Tom Parrish are my guests in studio. Jeff, I'm looking your direction. This question is, at the judgment seat of Christ, will Jesus bring up our sins while evaluating our works? When does I will remember your sins no more take effect? Great question. There is a teaching about the judgment seat of Christ when we are all gathered together with him. I think this is a heavenly judgment when all believers will stand before the Lord. And scripture says that we will be rewarded for what we have done in the body. And those things that are built on wood, hay, straw are burned up. And so it is often taught that somehow when it's our turn to come up before the Lord, there's a giant movie screen in heaven and and our whole life is displayed before heaven. Now, I don't want my life displayed before heaven. I don't think you want your life displayed before heaven, but I don't think that's what scripture is saying. If God says he remembers our sins no more, he no longer counts our sins against us. He separates them as far as the east is from the west, and he remembers them no more. Why would he show them to all of heaven? I actually was teaching on the judgment seat one time, and a a, a woman was in the class, and I taught this very uh, truth, that our sins are not displayed before all of heaven. And she came up afterwards, and she says, I've been a Christian for 30 years. I've been dreading the judgment seat of Christ Mm. because I had a past before I believed in Jesus. And for the first time in my life, I'm looking forward to that day. Yeah. And I said, amen. I encourage the people in my congregation all the time. When we focus on a particular verse, like you're talking about or whatever, I say, look, if you get a printer at home, go home and print that in big letters and hang it on your wall for the next month and look at it every day. One of my favorites, and I, I almost look at this every day, I'm not kidding, John 5, 24. Jesus says, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. Here's the big kicker, though. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. It's over. He has taken the judgment for us on himself. We passed out of that. And if you're a listener and you believe in Jesus, you've already passed out of judgment. You don't have to worry about some big video of your life or Jesus accusing you because he absorbed that into himself on the cross, and that's what it meant when he died for us. He took our sin. So, yeah, it's already over and done. On that day, the judgment seat of Christ, the Bema seat, you're going to receive a crown. You're going to receive a reward. Now, look, many have done more good works than others. But the scripture indicate that even if you have very little, if any, you're still going to pass through uh, as one escaping through the flames, Paul's right. Like, whoo, by the seat of your pants, you're going to get in. But your reward is Christ. And, And one more thing. Remember, what righteous works can we do? And the answer is all of our righteous works are like filthy rags to God. So what is he actually rewarding us for you ever thought about this? I think as he works yes. in and through a believer, 
and bears that fruit in our lives, that's what we're reward, we are being rewarded for. So think about this. We take our crowns in recognition that it's like, Lord, you're rewarding us for your very righteousness in and through us. We're going to lay them at your feet. We're going to cast them to the Lord. And that's exactly what the picture is in the book of Revelation. The 24 elders lay their crowns at Jesus' feet. I had a listener from Guy Talk come to my church one Sunday. She wanted to hear, see me face to face. This was about a year ago. And she lived out of town. And it was very good. I was very thrilled about that. But she she told me I was famous, which I thought was interesting. I laughed at that one. (laughs) But she said, you know, with all the good stuff you've done for the Lord, there must be many crowns in heaven for you. My response, and I'm dead serious, and I mean this with all my heart, is I'm not looking for the crowns. I'm just thankful I'm getting in the door because of the blood of Jesus. And that's all I'm looking for. Anything else is the Lord's business. I'm just happy to be there. The Lord is our portion and our reward. That's all we need. Jeff, yes. what were you saying about Paul mentioning about through the fire? I was trying to pick up on that. Do you remember? Yeah. So Because it almost sounded like there's a second-class salvation, which there isn't. No. It, it, it means, remember what's being tested. It's not your salvation that's being tested at the Bema seat. It's your works. Right. So if, for example, let's, let's take the thief of the cross, thief on the cross. How many works that are going to be tested by the fire for him at the Bema seat are going to survive? Probably very, very little, right? Mm -hmm. So he is probably one like who's going to make it through the flames as one escaping through the fire, as as Paul says in Corinthians. Um, Billy Graham or Tom Parrish or whatever is going to have more, right? More good works that God was able to do in them. So more will survive. So they'll receive their reward. Mm -hmm. Whatever that is, Scripture does not actually describe what that reward is. We tend to think of it as being jewels on a crown or something. He actually doesn't specify what those rewards are, right? Um, so whatever those are, you'll be rewarded. But as Tom just described, whatever that reward is, every single believer in Christ is going to be there and say, oh, the Lord, you are the ultimate reward. That's the reward that matters. So all we need is him. Yeah. Amen. How were people who lived before Christ saved? Abraham believed that Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. Can you explain that first? Well, sure. And in Hebrews, it talks about that. It was always been by what we call faith. That is, and here's the the funny thing about faith. I've had people say to me, maybe you guys have had this as well, Pastor. If I only had more faith, and then we read in Scripture, if you only need faith the size of a mustard seed, and I think there was some laughing in the background by the angels at that one, because it's it's not how tiny it is. It's where you put that faith that matters. And so if you have a tiny bit of faith, but you put it in Jesus, you've got everything you need. And if you think you've got a lot of faith, you still put it in Jesus because that's all you need. So it's not anything but faith in Abraham. It goes right through the list, you know, uh, in Hebrews uh, 11 and 12, talking about by faith, Abraham did this by faith. You know, they walked with the Lord by faith. And everything comes down to putting your trust in the right place. They didn't know the Messiah. They put their faith in Yahweh. And that was great because that's all they had. But the truth of it is they were still putting their faith in Jesus. They mm-hmm. just didn't know who he was yet. Yeah, it's it's by faith. By grace you have been saved through faith. In the New Testament, Abraham was saved by faith. In the Old Testament, it's the same 
faith. Right. Now, you're right. The cross hadn't happened yet in Abraham's life, so he believed what God had revealed to him up until that point. We believe what God has revealed to us that we know, and that is the death, burial, and resurrection of his son, Jesus Christ. Exactly. Nicely done. All right, we're going to have an extended version of Guy Talk, which means we have a whole another 30 minutes. There's still a bunch of great questions coming in. And I hope uh, after we come back from our short break that there'll be even more questions because this is the time to ask. I know you've got something that's been bugging you, uh, something you haven't quite understood, and that applies to everyone here in this studio. Uh, every day we've got something we want to investigate in Scripture. We want to get a deeper understanding. We want to know him better. We don't want to walk out, walk around with misinformation about God's word. We want to rightly divide the word of truth. So we're doing our very best to uh, teach from God's word. And like we always say, you should take God's, uh, you should take whatever we say and measure it against uh, what the word says. So always want you to do your own homework, but we're doing our very best to uh, bring biblical truth in this time of Guy Talk. And we're going to take a short break and we come back. Uh, Jeff Verdorn and Tom Parrish will still be here and we'll be taking your questions 877-933-2484. Again, 877-933-2484. If you need anything, let me know what you need. You can always email me, bill at myfaithradio.com. Just had some lovely comments come in from listeners and uh, someone said that, that Thursday was her favorite day, too, and wishing that her significant other would be listening hmm. to Guy Talk. So um, we'll pray for that person. All right, we'll be right back. Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at MyFaithRadio.com.